the other guy on the end had the T-shirt. T-shirt. I'm sorry. Didn't I say shirts? Yep. I thought he was covered. You thought, you thought, you thought, you thought eight things tonight. You're on fucking notice, John. Okay? The guys get shirts. Don't make a fucking maniac out of me. The guys get shirts. Do you understand? We're not going to be as strong as our weakest link. The guys get shirts. Do you understand that? This is like football, baseball, like anything else. The guys get shirts. That's just the fucking way it is. What's it going to be, guys? Who are you watching? I don't get it. I don't get it. You understand that? Do you want your jobs? Where's Joe? There is a lot of loose shit going on, and I am telling you, you guys are thin ice. Alright? I'm telling you right now. And when I fucking move, I slice like a fucking hammer. The Lifers Podcast with Scott Lucas, Gabe Rodriguez, and Ben Reiser. And now, here's Scott, Gabe, and Ben. Oh, yeah. Guys, it's like a weight has been lifted off my shoulder. How is everybody? How are you? Good. Yeah, you had a big weekend. You did all your stuff, right? Yeah. Now all you've got to do is a tour. That's all. Yeah, I can't wait to go on tour so I can relax. Um, I had a great weekend. One of the best. I saw Thief at the Music Box. Played with the Married Men in Skokie on Saturday. Then I went to see Blondie and the Damned at Chicago Theater. Missed the Damned, but hung out with Troy from Queens and Failure. He's playing with the Damned now. And then... uh, Played at the Metro at the Joe Cassidy Tribute Show. And, and what was uh, the highlight? What was the highlight of the whole weekend? I don't know. It was a pretty great, pretty great weekend. Everything about it was pretty perfect. You know. So I think I saw Ben's head in, in some of the videos from the Married Men show. Did you make it down, Ben? <laughs> Just my head. Just my head went. The rest <laughs> of my body was here in Madison. Yeah, I was second row for the Married Men. Great seats. You really had to fight for that second row, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. uh, but that was a great show. Uh, I can't remember ever being at an outdoor show where the mu- where the sound was as good as it was there. Oh yeah, really? It really sounded good. Yeah, it sounded good from what I heard. I, I just saw some clips on Facebook, but it sounded good. Thank you. Thank you. And then then somebody who, whose name I won't mention because. How many times can you possibly mention the same guy's name in one podcast? But uh, recorded a bunch of the Joe Cassidy tributes, so I got to see, I don't know, like seven songs. 
including you doing seven uh, of them, huh? At least, at least. But uh, you did mm-hmm. bad. You did the U two song bad. That was that was epic, man. That was great. You did did great bad job. by U two. Is that the first that time you've very... ever done that? <laughs> it was. It's not every day that one does bad. But you know, it was on this list of songs. And Greg goes, "What do you want to play?" And I thought, you know what? I think I can do that song. So let's give me that song. It was great. Nobody else wants to do it. So, uh, you know, it was tricky. It was scary. Those are some, those are some, uh, heady highs. You hit them. You hit them all. Thank you. Thank you. It was fun. It was great. So what did you guys do this weekend? (laughs) (laughs) I'm still unpacking from the move. So I'm going through old stuff and throwing things out and keeping things. And that's fun. I feel like you're going to be saying that for the next year. Yeah, I keep finding old merch that I never got rid of. So every time I find something that's people to talk about, I was like, hold on, I can sell one of these, and here we go. Remember, Gabe, whatever is still in the box after three months will stay in the box. I know, that's why we're trying to get everything out now, because I, I understand it. I threw a lot of stuff out. You don't even want to know what I threw out. What did you throw out? I don't even want to say. I'm embarrassed to say that how much stuff I threw out. I threw out a lot of stuff. But is it something that you no. shouldn't have thrown out? Something that was partly mine? No. In in 15 oh. to 20 years, when CDs make a comeback, I'm gonna say, "What the hell did I do with that box of CDs?" Have you, you your, learned a lesson? You still got all your CDs? Yeah, I got the ones that matter. I used to DJ a lot, and I used to. Uh, um, drink a lot while I was DJing and so sometimes I would misplace my CDs so there's a lot of CDs that are gone um, which you know it's better than losing your records yes I didn't lose my records but somehow one of my boxes got thrown in the garbage and then I said to myself <laughs> do I really need all these boxes of CDs if I if I lost half of them I don't even know which ones they were do I need the other half and I just so it's which CDs are gone? Like, were they CDs, like, that people gave to you? No. And you these, said, fuck these, this? These were CDs that survived three moves and didn't survive a month in the house. I took the bandit off. I ripped it off. I don't have a CD player in the house. I play everything on, on Spotify right. or, or YouTube. I, you know, I sold a lot of my records. What am I doing with all these CDs? I just said, fuck it. So give me an example of, I mean, what's the hardest, what was the hardest one to say goodbye to? CDs? I I didn't look at them. I took a box. So you don't know if there are Iron Maiden CDs in there? Oh, there's Iron Maiden CDs in the garbage. There's, there's, there's. You threw Iron Maiden CDs away? Yeah. Did you want to carry them around the cross country twice? (laughs) Are you still, are you still moving? You already did. I know, but now I said to myself, it's just material. I'm not that person anymore. I just... Mm. Ben, back me up on this. Do you really need CDs today? No. But, I mean, I'm a hoarder, I think. I've got a basement full of CDs that I'll never look at again, but I haven't thrown them out. I'm not going to throw them out. i got the room, so fuck it. Who cares? I don't have the room, so I said, it's got to go. I still got more to go through. Scott, you said you, you DJed with CDs? That's no fun. Yeah. You didn't, did you yes, ever DJ is. with vinyl? 
Uh, yes, I did, but I didn't have a car. So lugging around a couple of crates of vinyl <laughs> was not cool. That was what was no fun. So screw that. Anybody who thinks that you're not really DJing because you're not playing vinyl can well, <laughs> I mean, you're not. I, I was, and I would DJ circles around most people with vinyl. I'll tell you that. But you weren't, you're, not a, you're not a DJ who would do like scratching and stuff like that. Sure. Sure, I can scratch. Yeah? And the CDJs, you would be able to scratch the CDs. Right. So it was perfect. It was a perfect world. Okay. If you were I mean, to- there are some bands that are almost made for the CD era. Like, you know, like Radiohead records sound great on CD. I'm not getting rid of those. And I'm not getting rid of my remastered Pink Floyd stuff. You know, even though I started buying that stuff on vinyl too. So I'm not, I'm not doing this. I'm not throwing this shit away. The remastered Zeppelin stuff, it sounds great. And I don't care what anybody says. I hear you. I, I can listen to it on, on stream and maybe not hear it as good as you can, but I don't have good speakers. I don't even have a stereo speaker. I have one speaker. It's a Marshall speaker. It's just one. That's how I listen to music these days. See, it sounds to me like you've fucking given up on any, any ideas of fidelity. You don't care anymore about what it really sounds like, to be honest. No, like... Just think of how low fidelity you just want. You just want the information. You don't want the presentation anymore. No, I, I want to hear it, and I want to, hear it, want to hear it how it's supposed to be heard, but I'm not going to buy big-ass speakers and lug them in my room and let them sit there for six years without turning them on and saying, what am I doing with these speakers? I got rid of my speakers five, six years ago. Why? You but should... you're living, you're you're working at, from home. You have a home office. I, I, I've got two speakers set up here on my desk, and I've got two speakers out in the living room for stereo, man. Don't you want stereo? You don't just want to play everything out of one fucking stupid... Come on, yes. Bluetooth that's, speaker. That's what I got headphones for. That's what I got headphones for. But again, you're in your home office. It's You're, you're the king of your kingdom, aren't you? The king, what is it? The master of your Domain. domain. Yeah, master, master of his domain. Of domain. King Why of the are you castle. worried about? Shouldn't you be Lord blasting music all fucking day? No. I'm I'm paranoid when I play music loud Listen in my house. So that I can't. From ben. <laughs> that was loud. That was loud. <laughs> I don't like playing live music at home because I'm afraid someone's ringing the doorbell and I can't hear it. So I, so fuck. Who's ringing your oh, doorbell? Oh, so you can hear it with your headphones on? <laughs> yes, you can hear. It. You can hear the doorbell the with door. your headphones on. Well, I have the ring doorbell, so I can see it on my phone when it goes off and all that stuff. You know, it's. I'm just saying. And I'm if not, somebody comes to the door and I'm listening to Led Zeppelin, that person can just come back some other time. <laughs> yeah. I'm also, just saying. it's bad for your hearing. You don't want to have loud music playing in your, if in they your had, ears all day. It's true. If they had it's real true. good speakers that were real small, I could fit them in my corner they of my do. desk. They do. They <laughs> do. I know, but I don't. You can't play a turntable and hit, let them hear like they're supposed to be heard through there. Somebody's sure got can. a 60th birthday coming up. 60? <laughs> I open my turntable. You may not be 60, but you act like you're 60. My my belt on the turntable fell off. I don't even know how to put it back together. You know that little rubber, rubber thing? <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 I, I'm an old man. Yeah. I don't know how to do this stuff anymore. How do you put that back on? How did it fall off? What were you doing with it? I drove across the country in front <laughs> Playing with it? one way and back, and it, the box opened up, and I'm like, what the hell is this? I don't even know if the needle's there anymore. I'm, I'm tired of technology. You, know, you can only lose so many parts of yourself, Gabe, before you cease to become the person that you were. 
for the person that I knew and grew to love. You were, you are getting further and further away from that person. And the person who doesn't give a shit about records and vinyl and a nice stereo, I barely know this person. This person doesn't make any sense to me. I can still play music all day long. It's just not going to be high fidelity, highfalutin sounding music. No wonder you like shit like Cinderella, because it doesn't really matter what it sounds like at this point anyway. <laughs> That's all I've been playing all week. I'm not lying. I still can't. Yeah. I'm still not done. I'm not done. Why do people say that? I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I've been listening to Cinderella. It's like, no, no one's asking you to lie. And by the way, thank you no, for I not am. lying to me. I, I you know, wish it's you like, would lie. How about I would rather hear now lie. When we have conversations... We assume that each other isn't, they're not lying to each other. <laughs> It'd be nice if I could assume that you're not lying to me when you, something comes out of your mouth. I'm not ashamed is what I'm saying. I'm proud. You shouldn't be, but I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. So, uh, along with my newfound freedom of not having to learn 10 songs a week, uh, I've gone to the movies again. And, uh, and I've been watching movies. Have you, ben, have you seen this movie, Five Graves to Cairo, that's playing on uh, uh, yeah. Criterion? Yeah, we actually showed it on a, on, a, on a 35 millimeter print on a big screen at Cinematheque. How long ago? I don't know, three or four years ago. I always say a couple years ago, but it can't be true. It's great. Yeah, what a terrific movie. Yeah. Gabe, you like this movie, Five Graves to Cairo? Never heard of it, but I did watch Licorice Pizza the other day. Oh, wow. This, this, <laughs> this I want to hear. Because it could go two different ways. Now, I, before we hear anything that comes out of his mouth, Ben, I'm betting he likes it. What do you think, Ben? Um, yeah. Yes. Yes. I'll tell you, I'll tell you this much. First half of the movie, I was on board with it. I was like, you know what? This ain't that bad. This is okay. This is interesting. Mm-hmm. But the further and further they got away from reality, I'm like, hold on a second. When does an 18, 15-year-old kid own a waterbed store? What's going on here? I don't know what's going well, on. Well, because that actually happened, and it's based on a real guy who did all those fucking things. So that, that's reality. I didn't actually. believe it. But go on. With I didn't believe Further and further from reality. I, and I didn't like the girl it, anymore. It's true. She... she, she she dicked him it around. doesn't matter if you don't believe it or not because it actually happened, Gabe. I don't. I didn't know that it was based on a true story. He never said it, did it? Well, no. there you go. So the point all is, I'm saying is she dicked is, him around. What'd she do? I can't remember her dicking him around. She was kind of leading him on, and she wasn't. And then, then she was going out with somebody else for a while. I, I wanted the two to get together, become happily ever after. And when he turned eighteen, then it was legal. But he never <laughs> got that far. Just like what's that other movie I said? I, wanted that to happen just like Rushmore <laughs> yes Rushmore <laughs> that's my point it didn't go the Rush, way I wanted it to Rushmore <laughs> you wanted him to in Rushmore you wanted the kid to wind up with the teacher yes but I haven't seen the movie in 20 years so I don't know right what that's happened. what he wanted he thought it was like private lessons or something like that <laughs> right. two, two things Gabe go ahead uh, there's a thing called drama and part of drama is like Everything doesn't turn out the way that you hope it would. Things go wrong. Otherwise, you'd just be sitting there what, being bored. That's what drama you. is. Okay, two, the end of Rushmore, 
maybe he does get the girl. When was the last time you saw it? Because at the end, the way she looks at him and he's playing that Faces song, maybe he does get the girl. Maybe there's something else going on there. You should watch it again. I mean, I'm going to watch it again as soon as I can find it. But, and he does, even if he doesn't get the teacher, he does get a girl, a charming girl. A yeah, girl he does wave Margaret Chang. Don't blow it for me. I, I saw it before, but I forgot it, so now I want to see it again. So, you're halfway on board. Well, you got you're you're anti Margaret Chang. I'm just saying that's uh, not who he's going for. Hmm. I thought it was okay. the The movie started up pretty strong, and then I decided eh, I don't think I like these people anymore. So <laughs> I finished it, but I was falling asleep a little bit towards the end. <laughs> I don't like these people anymore. So it's important to you to have people that you like in your movies. I need a champion in the show. I need someone that I can get behind and say, yes, that's the guy, that's the dude, that's the girl, whatever. I'm rooting for him. Then you're not going to like Bone with Yafet Koto. Did you see Bone, Ben? Yeah. Oh, man. That's something else. That was incredible. That was great. Larry, Larry Cohen. Larry Cohen, man. R.I.P. So you bring up Licorice Pizza, and everyone falls over themselves still talking about how great Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is. But I think the movie that's better than both of those movies is The Nice Guys. Doesn't anybody else think The Nice Guys is the best 70s Hollywood movie? Not me. <laughs> you don't like The Nice Guys? <laughs> no, I like that one. I like that they do that Abbott and Costello shtick. Um, out you in mean the whole movie? Tree. No, when they do like a literal, like he does that <laughs> thing that Costello does. I love this scene where he's trying to pull up his pants and he's got the gun and everything and the cigarette. It's, it's funny that you mentioned the nice guys because I was thinking about watching it again this week. I saw it in the theater when it came out, didn't love it, and I haven't seen it since. You and should it's watch on it somewhere. Yeah, okay. it's on. It's on Netflix. You should check it out. You Is check it, it out too, Gabe. It's uh, it's about like six years old or something. And when it came out, I was like, all right, this is going to like, there's going to be sequels every couple of years on this. This is a surefire hit. And it wasn't. All right, but I'm check it out like, and tell me guys. if it's not the best. That scene where the kid asked him if he wants to see his dick, it's, it's just, it's great. Well, Shane Black, the guy who wrote and directed it, right, also wrote Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which is another movie that people like that I never really thought was all that great. Not a huge fan of that. But I do like Shane Black's Predator movie, which not a lot of people like. I think it's really is good. Is that the new one? No, it, but that one's okay. really good, too. Uh, oh, it's good. Yeah. You're psycho, man. Did you see the new Predator movie? No. Oh, I'm easing back. I'm easing back, and that is, okay. is going to be 50th on my list of things <laughs> okay. to watch. Well, it should move up a little bit. Yeah. Also, Orphan First Kill. Move that up on your list. Orphan First Kill, huh? That's an excellent sequel. So you're not watching Game of Thrones? Is there a new season? Basically. I a never, bunch of people that you don't know who they are. I never started watching it, so I, I'm not going to start now. You've never watched Game of Thrones? No, never seen it. I don't have HBO, so... I thought we were going to mention you get HBO like a few weeks ago, didn't we? Wasn't no. it on board? Yeah, we were trying to get you to get HBO Max so you could watch all of Curb Your Enthusiasm, oh, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. No, I, There's I a new season coming up. I heard that, and I don't know what the premise is. The premise is. The premise is, <laughs> the premise is uh, Larry David's a dick and everybody. That's the premise. 
Yeah, but last year, oh man, last season, the 11th season, whatever, that had a real good premise and it kind of, you know, it rang throughout the whole season, you know. What was the premise? <laughs> I can't think of it. It was uh, real good. Yeah. Unforgettable. <laughs> it was that he 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 was lying to the people. Oh, right? he was pre- pretending to like the he pool was, and he was pretending to be attracted to the Tracy yes. most unattractive woman in the world. That was Tracy Ullman? Tracy Ullman. Yeah. I didn't know that. The whole time I, that was Tracy Ullman? Oh my God. How could you not know that? I never knew it. I don't understand how you can go through life the way you do. <laughs> she was not a likable character either. No. There's nobody likable on that show, which is which is why your whole likability thing doesn't hold up for me. No, there's a few people likable on that show. Who's who's likable on that show? Uh, I like uh, Cheryl. You she's like good. Cheryl? She's oh, yes. barely on she's the show good. anymore. Cheryl I know, sucks. but no, she's good. Just because she's married to what's his name, one of the Kennedys, can't hold that against her. Huh? Era. Who else? Who else do I like in that show? I like Ted Danson. Oof. Uh-huh. You're not supposed like, to like Ted Danson in that show. I like J.B. Smooth. Oh, he's, the, well, he's great. Well, you gotta love J.B. Smooth. You don't like J.B. Smooth. There's something wrong with you. He's the, he's the best part of the show right now. Speaking of the best part of the show, who have we got on the show today, Gabe? Today? It's been a long time coming. I haven't talked to this guy in a long time. Paul Massaro, yeah. our old sound man. That's right. He's done sound for lots of bands. Go ahead. A, lo- a lot of bands. A lot of bands. And we're going to get into all those bands, but like... Cheap Trick, uh, Andrew WK, Mastodon. Yeah, he. I was hoping to get him on last week, but he couldn't. And then uh, I saw him the other night at the Joe Cassidy thing. I was like, hey, you're going to do it this week, right? And he's like, well, I don't know if I'm a lifer. And he's like, so you're not going to do it? He's like, I got nothing to add. And like, well, Gabe wants you on the show. Gabe's been waiting for you. And he's like, he has? And I'm like, yeah. Gabe's got a lot of things he wants to talk to you about. So don't let me down, Gabe. I need you to get in there and make Paul feel wanted and welcome and open him up and ask him about all the the stuff that you've been wanting to bring up. Some of the stuff is not for for young people's ears or, or people that know him today that didn't know him back in the day either. Uh-huh. Go on. So... So some of the stuff, there might need to be some editing for this one if, if we get too deep. Well, have you thought about some of the things that you'd like to talk to him about? I'm not very prepared, but I'm thinking it'll, it'll flow pretty easily. Let's see how... I'm sorry, did you not know Paul was going to be on the show tonight? You told me yesterday. So you haven't thought about it at all? He's still unpacking. He's just waiting to look at him so he can go, you know what, Paul? <laughs> you look like... <laughs> Who do you think Paul looks like? Ooh, I think Just by memory. <clears throat> uh, who do I think he looks like? Uh, I, I, I don't know. Who's he look like? Yeah, that's what I asked. Oh, I'm supposed to say that because I said that to about what's his name? I forgot his name already. <laughs> yeah, your buddy Max Crawford. <laughs> uh, Paul's Korean, part Korean. So, part Korean? No, I said part. He's oh, he's, part he's, Korean. he's like. Uh, I only know that because he told me. <laughs> I don't know who he looks like. Who does he look like to you? I don't know. You're, 
<laughs> we'll, we'll find out what you have to say. I'm sure he'll be sitting there staring for the next hour. Going, Who no. does this motherfucker look like? He looks like Jared Kushner. Does he? You saw a picture of him? No. Does he have a he, Wikipedia? He's or saying be Jared Kushner, Steve Bannon. Oh, I'm thinking Jared Leto. What am I thinking? <laughs> mm-hmm. That's great. I've been seeing a lot of Jared Leto stuff lately. Yeah? So that House of Gucci. I saw. The, uh, you mean uh, Jared Leto in the House of a Gucci? <laughs> yes. I might have saw that or fell asleep through that. How ridiculous saw, is that? I saw We Crashed, where he plays oh, the yeah. founder of We We Work. What's We Work? It's like this co- cooperative, uh, like uh, workplace that was like a big fad. Uh, is in it New like York. LinkedIn? I think it's still happening, huh? Is it like LinkedIn? No, no, no. It's like is there a movie uh, about LinkedIn? No, it's like they set up an office space and people buy into having their own desk in like a communal office space. Like they run their little startup and, company. Right and this is a somebody movie. Somebody else's startup company. It's this a is TV, a movie. It's an Apple TV series. And Jared, and you remember, oh, we crashed. It's the, um, uh, what's her name? Loved it. When we first interviewed Gwen. her. Gwen liked Gwen. it. Yeah. But I'm supposed to watch this about a startup? Hey, you watch whatever you want, okay? Hey. Uh... <laughs> hey, hey, Gucci. And then what, what I just saw, oh, and then I watched Morbius. Uh, what I'm, is wrong with you? <laughs> I've had a lot of time on my hands. I, have, like, I didn't have a big weekend. I, I drove up to like, Chicago. So you does Jared Leto and, have like information on you or something? No, nah, nah, that's what I'm saying. It's weird that he keeps popping up and shit that I'm watching. It's not so weird. I mean, you know. Well, the Morbius thing it's like I finding, going in. It's like finding semen on a crime right. scene. <laughs> right. Do you find it or do you look for it? Well, you, you hold that black light thing. Clearly, you've been holding your black light looking for black Jared Leto. Yeah. <laughs> Droplets of Jared Leto all over your apartment. Yeah. Yeah. Dave Chappelle yeah, joke, yeah. by the way. Oh, yeah? Oh, I'll tell you what people liked is our song imploder. People did like your song imploder. Are you proud our, of that? Our song I, imploder. I liked your song imploder. I, I, you know, now, people should know that... The first time I got to listen to it was when I listened to the episode. And I, I immediately began laughing. I thought it was very good. My favorite part was Ben's like, and then some fey guy comes on there and, and talks, NPR fey sounding guy. <laughs> and then what do you do? And, you know, it's like, you mean you? And then you completely <laughs> nail it. And you, it's not like you really changed your voice. You oh. are an NPR fey guy. Yeah. I put a little more extra compression on it and it was good. And I, I found that dumb background music. <laughs> like, this is it. Where did you find that? Oh, don't tell Don't tell me. I don't want to learn all the secrets of some imploder. Okay. Sure. I, people yeah, are, gotta, people want more. We're going to have to, we're going to have to, we're going to have to come back to that. I, at some I'm point. fine with it being a, uh, oh, a well, semi regular oh, okay. uh, segment. All right. You know, along with our stupid pet tricks thing that Gabe does. Gabe, have you heard it yet? Have you heard the episode? I did hear it, uh, but he didn't listen to it. Right? No, I I played it because it was it was interesting to listen to back with your extra bits that you put on there, Ben. That was pretty good. Thank you. Pretty good. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm thinking if we do the song exploder every other week for the next five years, we might go through all your songs. 
So we got some content. <laughs> it's all about content, isn't it? Yes. And that was our 80th episode on that last wow. episode, right? Wow. Yeah, you're right. This I'm is 81. Right now. 80, yeah. 81. Kind of like, hmm, about the age when you don't know how to run a turntable anymore, usually. It's like when you turn 81. <laughs> but for some people, it's much earlier. <laughs> hey everybody, it's Paul Massaro. Hey. What's going on, guys? We finally Look got you, you, Paul. Guys. I, well, you just asked you like me last Gabe's week. Beard? <laughs> I thought it was a mask under his chin. You know, like you know how you pull it down when you want to it, it eat some like food. Yeah. <laughs> oh right, he thought it was a face mask. Mm-hmm. No, I honestly was like, "Is that? I hope it's a mask." Jeez, man! <laughs> look at that. No, he's Amish. He's are, Amish. Are you now. older than me, Gabe? I forget. Uh, I think I'm older than you. It. I'm I'm fifty. You're fifty. When did you turn? November. Okay, you are. I turn like next the, week. Next week mm. you turn. <laughs> well, slowly I turn. Like a, a week and a half. And you'll start getting those calls, the ro- robocalls from Medicare and all that stuff. I get that every every day. <laughs> yeah. You yeah, do? They just, I yes. just want to get my car insurance updated, you know. Have you recovered from the other night? Uh, barely. Yeah? I was just tired. You know, you. I don't know how you guys do it. Playing it, it was... like three or four shows in a weekend. I have no idea. <laughs> it was nice to see you. Uh... And, and you know, just be, yeah, just being a stage manager, wiping microphones down. I got a real kick out of it. Yeah, I haven't uh, haven't done it in a long time. Like I know stage managing way way back. Yeah, but like, you're still you're still in it. So before we get into it, let's talk about you've worked with a lot of bands. You've done sound for a lot of bands, but the most what the fuck band that you've done is Paul Anka. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, uh, how did how did that happen? Honestly, I don't remember. It was like one of those calls where someone's like, you know, your name comes up in a hat. Uh, and I think I was with uh, Brazilian girls or something at the time. And it just, you know, in between tours, you get a call and you're like, uh, hey, do you want to do uh, A3 for Paul Anka? And I was like, what's A3? <laughs> I didn't even know what that meant. <laughs> what is it? Movie studio? Yeah, I, I didn't know. It's like basically a patch guy. You go in, you make sure everything works. You work with the two sound guys, and I've always been like front house. But I was like, "You gonna pay me how much?" Uh, yes, I'll <laughs> I'll be a three. You don't. I don't have to mix. I don't even have the pressure of that. So I yeah, that was that was a great one. Well, I mean, where did did you grow up in Colorado? Nah, off and on. Yeah, I grew up in Joliet. Juliet Shorewood area, but uh, my parents got divorced when I was like four. So then, like my dad went to Colorado basically. So mm-hmm. then I had to kind of go back and forth. So I, which was kind of cool when I think about it now. I was like, who gets to go to Colorado like whenever they want? So I kind of right. was split between summers there and then with my mom here in Juliet. So it was uh, it was uh, interesting. You know, you kind of had different sets of friends. You just a whole different scenery 
Yeah. It's kind of cool. Yeah. It's much more, it's much different than Joliet. Yeah. And, and like the first year, I, I actually lived with my dad one year when I was in first grade. We moved five times. I had to go to five different schools in first grade. So I think that set some sort of thing in my head where it's like, you better learn to adapt. You're constantly moving. You're always making new friends and you got to learn how to do it quick. And I think mm-hmm. it was like good training for touring or something. Yeah. I mean, so was what like, was your pathway into music? Was it an older sibling or your parents? Uh, my dad was the rhythm guitar player and singer uh, for his band called Your Friends with a Z. <laughs> F-R-E-N-Z. And they uh, were... Like uh, split they, ends. Yeah, they would do like uh, Todd Rundgren's covers and they'd do originals and they'd play like the Holiday Inn, which is like the big gig that paid well in Joliet and... I just remember he did that and worked in a hot dog stand. He he owned a hot dog stand <laughs> and played in a band. So, you know, he was always kind of a, a hustler for years. Living the life. Yeah, I mean, got three kids. How do you still continue to be a rock star, you know, with, you know, weekend... Hot dogs. Yeah. I saw him around... Right. Um, before he split, you know, and they, the, I think the band kind of broke up and then that was like his last thing. He ran off with like, you know, the the groupie of the band and mm-hmm. she was younger and he was like, wow, three kids or a, a young new girl in a new life. I think I'll take that. <laughs> uh... <laughs> you musicians, man, always go for what your heart says, I guess. Which is what fun. are you talking about? <laughs> I think it's a good thing. So, I mean, I mean, how did you get it? They were miserable. So. How, oh, I guess so. So that's the way you look at it? I do. I've, I've gotten over it. it, it I, I saw both of them as adults, and I'm like, oh, God, I can't believe you guys were ever together. So right. it made a lot of sense to me now. <laughs> yeah. so, so at what point do you actually get into sound, or are you playing in bands? Have you figured uh, out what you no, want to do yet? My dad had gear around, so there was like reel-to-reel tapes. He had like equalizers and suspended record players, so uh, he was a big audiophile. Um, so we, he had like recordings of his band, and I think it was in uh, eighth grade when I started kind of recording stuff. He had a little mini Moog keyboard, so we were just like recording our voices and making up stupid songs. Yeah. And then uh, in high school, I was really into uh, sort of like DJ samplers and all this stuff, so I had like a a big setup with that and all this MIDI electronic stuff. Yeah, I can see that. That doesn't surprise me about you. So I was a total tweaker for that stuff. Yeah. And then <laughs> I moved back to Colorado. I graduated high school early and all my buddies who I used to break dance with uh, were now into punk rock. Uh-huh. And I was too. So we started a punk band. I had 50 bucks and I, I bought this drum set from this girl's brother. She sold it out from under him. And uh, we had a band, <laughs> recorded an album in my basement and uh, and then everyone off everyone went off to different colleges, but we had one show in a basement that was epic, so super fun. Yeah, and I was hooked <laughs> after that. Really, I was probably I was probably seventeen. Yeah, and then I just wanted to be a better drummer and record and do all that stuff that like I had the most fun doing with those guys. When did you stop being a drummer and and realize I, fuck I'm a sound guy? Uh, I realized that I was became better at sound. Uh, than the bands I were in, was in because <laughs> we were like writing by committee, which I recently found out is just 
why we were terrible because it's like <laughs> oh i got a verse oh i got a chorus and the bridge was just always just a disaster forever long and the songs were way too long there was like no no like overarching boss who was like no guys this is terrible we were all just like okay i got my part in i'm happy right <laughs> so it was right just terrible um and, you know, every night I'd play a show, I'd never wanted to play the same exact way, uh, which you kind of are supposed to do. And I had a hard time with that just because I'd get bored. Uh, and I tried working in the studio, which I was, you know, I kind of liked that. But I also got super bored listening to a snare drum and, uh, you know, just sitting there forever working on sounds. I was like, let's just capture fire in a bottle. That was like my, my method of like, let's get a good take fast i don't care if it's perfect or not you know and that was always like my method of that so live kind of suited me right because it's like you got one chance do it do it as good as you can and i got pretty good at it after a while so uh i got a job doing that at double door when they first opened i was an intern for like years uh no i wasn't actually i was an intern for, intern for like three months and then i got started getting paid to do lights who were you working? A year. Who were you working under over there? Uh, it was Steve Coker, um, Ian Kuhn, like heavy hitters in the Chicago touring sound guys. They were like the best dudes. Mm-hmm. Ian was with uh, the Pumpkins, but then I think he was with Dave Matthews at the time on a break. And Steve Coker always did like Sonia Dada and like whatever the biggest local bands were because he didn't really want to tour too much because he had a, a bunch of sound systems around town. But those guys like showed me the pro way to do it, and uh, I th- that gave me a good work ethic and skills on the stage. So I think it made a difference over like someone who just kind of shows up at Shuba's every day and does it the same, or you know, like the the older cats in these clubs who were just that's the only mic we got. I don't care. I'm not moving it. Right. And not naming any down, names you know. or anything. Yeah, it wasn't. No it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't about. <laughs> It was more about how can I get through this night without getting so drunk that I fall over because uh-huh. they just don't care about the bands, you know. Right, right. And rightly so. There was probably a lot of terrible bands. I've, I've had that syndrome where I'm just like, oh, man, <laughs> I don't want to turn it up. I just actually want to turn it down. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's hard to have integrity when you have to do sound sometimes. Yeah. So what was yeah. the first band that you went on tour with? Uh... Let's see. I guess the first band was uh, Soul Vitamins. Remember them? Oh, yeah, yeah. Greg Saran's band. Yeah. They like, <laughs> you know, I was kind of buddies with Greg from being around the scene, and I always got along with those guys. Uh, Greg texted me band. tonight. Oh, yeah. He finally saw Top Gun, and he hates it. So I'm, I'm glad to hear about that. <laughs> oh, my God. It's not free yet, right? I think I was going to watch it, and I, I'm not paying for it. It will never be free. You, you, you'll okay. always have to pay something. There's some part of yourself will have salt. To, your soul yeah. will pay. In the there end. will be a piece of your soul that will always be on the chopping block for that. Yeah. So soul vitamins uh, got me hooked on touring because it didn't pay great, but it at least paid what I was probably better than what I made at you know Double Door. Uh-huh. And we got to tour with Sublime and wow. Cake, and some some other band was also opening. But I, like in their heyday, seeing Sublime in like these small punk rock ski clubs we did a colorado like ski resort tour and we got to ski for free it's the best uh it was awesome yeah it was like super fun uh and then i went out or i came back and so now i had like experience on tour 
Gabe and I did a run with with a uh, with a uh, Sublime. Sublime. Yeah, we played a couple shows. Uh, it was in Ohio and Detroit, wasn't it? It was them and driving and crying. That was like the first, uh, like tight little punk rock show that was doing like reggae and yeah. you know live. People went nuts know, kind of, for it. They went ape shit and like the sound guy was really good at his dub shit. So it was like echoes were like blowing everyone's minds. And I was like, this sound guy's really good. And I just started watching him. And I learned that, like, he can make a huge impression, you know, depending on the band. So if you get the right combination of, like, a band like that that does a lot of effects-heavy stuff, right? it can be really fun. You feel like you're, like, the fifth member of the band. And that's right. when I it clicked for me where I was like, okay, this could be fun. I'm not up there enjoying playing, but I get to be part of, like, this live production. So it's almost like, uh, it's similar to, like, the studio where you get a little bit more... If you're with the right band, and that's that also sucked me in because I, I was really into production and effects and like spatial. And you know, like when we started working together, I just remember like you had distortion and fan effects, and I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that live, we're gonna do that, right? And I would make like the stuff that you ended up probably doing on your own with the pedals. So, you also obviously are a big fan of like vocal effects and yeah, but all like of what, that you know- stuff. Once we stopped working together, I knew, you know, I'm getting into situations where I can't trust the guy, you know, and so but I didn't want to give that up. Yeah. No, it's fun, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're nice. like, oh, yeah, check this out. And you put your big <laughs> delay on and everyone's like, whoa. And the sound guy's like, where's this coming from? <laughs> yeah. They, they don't all like that, Paul. They're not into that. Screw them. They wouldn't yeah. have got it. They would not have got it right. So you do what you got to do. So you're out with Soul Vitamins. I was up with Soul Vitamins. It was just, it was just a week tour. And then okay. uh, this band, Seam, who was on... Uh, right. Touch and Go. Uh, Touch and Go. Very hip label. Uh, they were playing at Double Door a bunch, and they were like Korean guys. So we had like this sort of connection, like, you know, like, hey, are you? Yeah, I'm right. like, yeah, I am. Are you? Yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, cool. So we had that little bond, because that just like gives you sort of like the upbringing all of the shit you had to deal with uh you know in america with like racism and all the shit like it was like you automatically knew a lot about each other's upbringing uh but they were cool and they were really good so they were like hey we're going on a a tour do you want to go and i was like yes well hold on let me see you know i'd have to ask my boss and figure out if i could sustain my uh 250 a month rent on the corner of Division and Damon, <laughs> a month, <laughs> two fifty, man. That was like, Jesus. Yeah, that's a good deal. Yeah, uh, it's hard to believe. Yeah, people it's got shot in our on our crosswalk back when I lived there, though. It was, not, it was worth it. it was not they're getting fun. shot now, and the, the rent is nowhere near as good as that. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, yeah. So we did uh, like a U.S. Canadian tour. Um, they were headlining. So I learned that Double Door was really good uh, mm-hmm. compared to everywhere else in America. That was just terrible. Uh, the sound systems were half broken most of the time. Uh, it was hard. I had to like be a system tech where every day I'd come in and I'd be like, holy shit, how am I going to do this? And I'd just start working with the guy and fixing stuff immediately, like all day, and then get through the show. And then every day it was like that same sort of thing. So I learned a crap ton uh right away doing that and then then they were going to uh europe 
with Superchunk as a co-headlining tour. And I was like, I'm going to Europe? This is insane. Like, it was perfect for someone who's like 22, I think, at the time. Or So it yeah. was... Uh, and it was great. And I got this, like this indie rock cred because then all these bands in Chicago, like you, were getting signed up at the time, all the local bands that were playing. And they were like, oh, you toured with Seam? Yeah. Oh, cool. Like... Well, we're about to go out, you know, we just got a record deal and, you know, that type of stuff started happening. Uh, Triple Fast Action, I think, was the first, but uh, they took, like, my boss out on tour, Gary Rogers, uh-huh. rest in peace. And Gary had too much fun and came back, <laughs> like, a month later with, like, broken glasses and, like, just disheveled. Like, he was done. And yeah. uh, Wes is like, hey... We need someone. We're still going. Can you handle it? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm getting into. You guys are old <laughs> and jaded. And I was, I was a little terrified after seeing Gary come back. But and you it did just it. just kept going. I did it. It was fun. First yeah. time in New York in like the scary New York days where uh, they had a tradition where you they pulled the van up like in the middle of Times Square, which was not the Times Square we know. It was... No. It was it was seedy, right. and uh, literally they would pull over uh, this ritual, and they'd go up to this specific uh, emporium, I'll call it, where you put mm-hmm. arcade quarters in, windows go up, and uh, I was like, what is this? And there was, you know, things going on in there, right? and then I was just like so freaked out, because it was like, you know, three in the afternoon, <laughs> and and I look over, and Wes is like, yay, and Brian's <laughs> doing and they're like, done. And we get out, and I was like, that was so crazy. And they're like, let's go. And then, then we got back in the van and went to load in. It was, uh, <laughs> yeah, was, those guys had learned a thing or two from uh, Mike O'Connell. So, you know. Uh, was, was he touring before them in a different band or something? Or was he just uh, figured shit out like that? <laughs> I, I think Mike was way ahead of those guys on everything. But, yeah, but, you know, like the, the whack shacks in, in – uh, in Times Square, it's weird to me to think that they had that was ha- going on. It doesn't. No, the wax shacks, not wax tracks. Oh, the wax, wax shacks. That's what you're talking about, right? Is a wax oh, shack. Yeah, 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 yeah. Spank, yeah. spank banks. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> the peep shows, like all that yeah. stuff. It was like nothing but peep shows and movie theaters, and the movie theaters were scarier than the peep shows. And but it wasn't that yeah. long ago. It it doesn't. I mean, I guess early nineties. Yeah. It seems like a long time ago, but for me, I'm just like, wow, it just seemed like it all changed in the blink of an eye. It, I mean, there was some stuff I was glad that changed, but yeah, it was, it was, it used to be fun. Like you, you didn't know what was going to happen. There'd be mm-hmm. lines of people like in a park by a venue, like uh, Irving Plaza. And you'd say like, what the hell is that? And they're all lined up to buy like heroin <laughs> and like just a line of people. And I was like, really out in the open? This is so insane. Yeah. Yeah, New York yeah. was uh, pretty rough and wild back then. So yeah. you're out with Triple Fast Action, and then you, and then you run into your greatest gig ever. Although I, I gotta <laughs> say, I've been looking at your LinkedIn here, and your your uh, we're not on there. Oh no, <laughs> really? You've, you, oh, no. you've erased us from your past on, on, oh, on LinkedIn. Goodness. What's that all about? I don't I I don't know. Did I write it? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> My I resume definitely has you, it on there. Your resume. Your, well, your resume on LinkedIn does not have us on there. 
I mean, I, I would I'll think it's you because it says you're a tour manager in front of house sound engineer for Andrew WK. And, and what did you do for those eight years? You partied hard. <laughs> <laughs> did you write that? <laughs> no. Oh, you did. That's good though. Oh yeah. That's pretty good though. I think I was no, I with you I, the first time. I you think saw I went play. with like the last, uh, years. Cause you know how you're supposed to do like, what's your most relevant recent no. No nope, history. No, nope, nope, I've worked wrong. with uh, double doors on there. I don't know. 15 <laughs> bands since I was with you guys or something. No, 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 no. I don't All think right. so. Because I think after us, it was what? Angie WK. No cheap trick. Oh yeah. Cheap remember trick. remember they stole me from you. They told totally that what happened me. See, that's not what I remember. I remember oh, that yeah. you, you were like, I can't work for you guys anymore. It's too loud. Well, that was all the time. Every night, I would say that because my ears were ringing. <laughs> we're playing venues where you're, you've got a rig that's meant for stadiums, <laughs> in clubs. It's blowing past you because you're not even in the spot where it's sweet. You're like three feet away from it in these small venues. And it's like hitting me like the loudest possible way. And then you'd hit that, like all the pedals. And then you'd hit both amps. And I'd just be like ducking under the soundboard. <laughs> So then you went to work for Mastodon? <laughs> no. Well, I did Cheap Trick. Cheap Trick was actually quieter than you. Wow. Don't tell you Rick that. You guys are too loud. I'm going to work for Mastodon. <laughs> you, okay. you, skipped over, you skipped over a whole section of, of years of Paul partying hard with, with you and Wes. Yeah. And oh, that's everybody. what Gabe wants to get into, I'm sure. Yeah, that's what Gabe Plus wants saw, to get into. He saw the demise of Scott Lucas from the clean cut... <laughs> I'm gonna watch a movie all day. Man. <laughs> Paul, weren't, didn't you go to didn't you go to Paris with us? Yeah, yeah, he did go to Paris. <laughs> was that was that Galosi too, or is it just me? Uh, oh, I don't Jim. think he. I don't think he went to Europe, but uh, I don't think so. But I, I have, it was just me. Go ahead. There was some partying going on down there in in Paris, wasn't there? No, uh, not Paris for me. Is, there wasn't. Paris is a hard place to party because it's like uh, you don't know what's going on. The locals don't like you. Uh, no. You just assume they're like anything could go wrong. And I've had that happen a few times for sure. Well, they also like they had this crazy uh, sound DB limit. And I remember uh, Paul wrote, what was the DB limit? Do you remember, Paul? Ridiculous. <laughs> oh, in Paris? Yeah. Yeah, it was louder than like your snare drum. Like, I mean, it, your snare it, drum was blowing through it. It was like 96 dB at front of house. Okay, what was the limit though? 20 dB or something crazy like that? <laughs> no, it was like 96, which is like. That was their limit? 96 if you scream dB? in a room, you'll hit like 96 without a PA on. So like, Paul writes on the wall, he goes, I can fart louder than 96 <laughs> dB, you pussies. That was. That was, was that, the Club USA, now you're bringing back memories. It was like the USA Club. It was so stupid. It was pretty it was like, bad. That's where they tried to tell Joe they to turn down. They sold palm frits there instead of french fries. Palm <laughs> <laughs> frits. Ooh, but, um, yeah, it was what, a weird uh, club. What, what, what tours were these? What years were these that you were local eight sound? This is around 96, 97? Yeah. That was when you guys were big in America and trying to break and they're like, let's let's take these guys overseas, right? Well, that barely was what what had happened. I mean, they, we basically went over for uh, Australia, 
And while we were there, they're like, well, let's stop in France on the way back. Um, they never did anything for us in Europe. And I don't really think they were interested in breaking us in Europe. And one of the things they used to say to us all the time was like, they don't like rock and roll in Europe anymore. And I was like, what? Oh, right. I remember what that. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. We did a TV show in France. Oh, right. We did a, a TV show. Weren't and, there and puppets involved or something? There were on puppets that show? involved. <laughs> <laughs> it was really weird. There were puppets involved. And no, Gabe Paul is wearing made, those sunglasses, right? Those were Paul's sunglasses, I believe. Oh, they wow. They were Paul's sunglasses. He said wow. right before he went on, he said, put these on. And I, and I wore them. <laughs> put Genius. These on. Genius move, Paul. I, I was the fashion and consultant in the band, I suppose, right? For Gabe. <laughs> I had yeah, to look ridiculous in those days. Paul, were you in on the conversation before we went to Australia where Scott said, we're going to party like we never partied before and because nobody knows us down there. We're just going to do what we want and we're going to do everything we can while we're down there. Were you part of that conversation? I was part of more than the conversation. <laughs> I was part cohort. I was uh, instigator, uh, casualty. I was, I was, was all an, of it. He was an architect. I yeah. know he was. I just wanted him to say it out loud because I remember those days trying to wrangle everybody together after every show and say, oh, we got to get to the next city. Yeah, they well, know how to tour manage down there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was reading that Sex Pistols book and I was yep. reading it on the plane. Me too. And I yep. was like, wait, we could be the Sex Pistols here if we want. I mean, because really nobody knows us. So they don't know that we're not these crazy dudes. Let's be crazy dudes. And we had, as soon as we got off the plane, oh, and I had a broken jaw as well. So as soon as you we did? got off the plane, yeah, remember? How did got that beaten, happen? Just before we went, I got beaten up at uh, exit. Oh, right. Right? And so, so like, my, I couldn't move my jaw. It was, like, off to the side. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to sing. And so we got off the plane, and one of our handlers over there, and they go, well, yeah, we can get some pot from the top of this mountain. So they gave us all this pot, and I got so high. I was watching Xena, Warrior Princess, in the hotel, <laughs> and I just went <laughs> and put my jaw back into place, and then we were fine. And then from there, every day, it was like we'd get up, get in that van. We had, that, uh, we, we had an advance of the first Queens of the Stone Age record, so we'd listen to that. We'd get super high. We'd roll out to the sh out of the van into the show, start drinking everything they had, play the show, walk out of that, go to clubs until like because they were open till like the, what nine in the morning or it's the best <laughs> to be the opening band in a in a country where there's a tour manager who kind of handles everything. <laughs> All you got to do is show up like a couple hours before you play, do the show or eat, do the show. Right, and then you're fucking done, and you just terrorize while the headliner's on. You're like so shit faced. By the time they get off, they're like, "What happened, to you guys?" <laughs> it was you wake like up insane. the next day, <laughs> and that's went on every day, every day. Was that like two weeks or something? Things, right? Isn't it? You know, just, that was a little more than two weeks. That was about three weeks, I think. But it was. Oh my god, <clears throat> it was rough. It was rough for me because I had to. I had to answer for you guys. I, I had to talk to our, the band's manager on the phone. How's everything going down there? Uh, it's going okay. Uh, I try and answer the phone or the beeper when it goes off, but uh, sometimes we're busy. And, Dave uh, had to go along most of it, right? You're every night with us. 
even though you were like straight. Yeah. Uh, I don't I know to... how you could be around us straight. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you have some some good. Uh, maybe you're getting a contact high and you didn't know it or something. But it no, could have been. Moly. He had he, you had to be getting a contact high in that van, Gabe. <laughs> There's no way that you could have survived. I was driving on the wrong side of the road down there because that's how yeah. they do it. And the, the I just wrong had side to, of the road. I had to keep myself together to to stay to keep to make you guys make it home. Because we had to play with Motley Crue on the way home. You remember that? Yep. We flew all the way around the world (laughs) to Florida. Yeah, to Tampa to play Rockstock or whatever it was called with Motley Crue. That's what happened? Yes. Yeah. And and Herb and Sheila Corn met us at at the show. And Wes. You don't remember this? I remember everything from that. (laughs) It was like being in the uh, cock rock era for a moment. It was insane. (laughs) People were dirt skeeching topless. Do you remember that? You get I a picture of it on a pickup also truck. Like being in deliverance. <laughs> yeah. I got yeah. pictures of that stuff in my photo album. I, I, I got to pull oh, them up. Oh, man. You got you to show me some of that stuff, Gabe, because <laughs> I just remember guys ske- skeeching on a carpet in the dirt. That was terrifying. With no shirt on. Like, if they fall, ter- they're going to get hurt. Yeah. A lot of show your good. tits stuff, like, which was not cool at that era all at that. all. Pamela Anderson, we saw her and the uh, the other girl. Do you remember that game? You were there. Those those were the days. Right before you went on tour and everybody went on tour with STP. How about how about those days? Yeah, that was like the the new sort of uh, big hair sort of hair rock days. It was like the makeup uh, grunge makeup days or something. I don't know. They kind of look like Aerosmith. Uh, those guys were awesome and. Scott Weiland was just trying to hang on. Yeah, that, I think that was when they, they decided, "Fuck it, let's 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 admit that we're rock stars and let's just do this thing and let's just do a rock star tour." And so you know, we were there and got to see that. You know. Yep. Downtown, Scotty Brown Gabe. I'm looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> that was Gabe's favorite gig, I think. <laughs> That was because that's when they gave us walkie-talkies to talk to each other and communicate across these huge arenas, and uh, we had a lot of fun. Like, even get, though I okay, wasn't did partying. You, did you start dressing like downtown Scotty Brown? Is that what happened? I found a hat. I had a plaid hat. I don't know if you remember that plaid hat. I used to wear that, <laughs> and I wore these orange sunglasses, and I was just I was having fun, you know, in my own way. Gabe was a rock star tour manager right then. <laughs> It was official. We yeah. we we met Gabe, a lot of friends Gabe, on that tour. Gabe liked his power and he wielded it. <laughs> he had a he had a MacBook laptop, man. He was like uh, big time. He had to learn how to use the MacBook. He was like, <laughs> "Let me see, what's this? Look at this." No, he, didn't, he didn't have a MacBook. I got a Did printer. You have a MacBook? Uh, well, it wasn't called a Mac. It was like a PowerBook. PowerBook. M two fifty or I don't remember. Oh, it was but. it was black and white. It was terrible, but. Uh, that was my early tour managing days when I got my, cut my teeth or whatever you want to say, and, and uh, became the production manager, whatever I was. And then after oh, that, right. I became I became tour manager. We had uh, what's her name's guy, uh, the piano player girl. Tori Amos. Tour man- Tori Amos. Yeah, Andy. Tour manager. Andy. Andy. Andy was the big time guy who came in to uh, show us what's up. Show us how it's done, right? Yeah. It's like there's no playing around here, guys. I got right. things. You got to get it on these times. You got to have this many guests. Right. 
kind of show well, I mean, up. The best part about that for Paul was uh, catering. Paul was a catering connoisseur. <laughs> He's like, hey, guys, what's going on? It's time to eat. Let's go. Yeah. He's like, they got some really good food here today. Okay, so Cheap Trick stole you from us. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Remember the three-night stand at the Metro? It was, it was like you guys, I Triple do. Fast Action, and the uh, Smoking Popes, I think, all did like open for Cheap Trick on their three-album night. Well, it was four. It was four. And, and Smashing Pumpkins did one of them, too. Yeah, so it was like the best of Chicago's young bands opening. And Smashing Pumpkins. Big, yeah. And... <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I don't know. I think I did two. I did you guys and Triple Fast. And maybe even didn't um, Blake's band play too? Fig Dish or something? No, Blake played with Triple Fast. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, so I was doing like half those sound. And uh, I think Cheap Trick was trying to get rid of their guy for some reason. Uh huh. Or he was leaving. I don't know what was going on. Uh so then, yeah, Dave Fry approaches me afterward, and he's like, what are you doing next week? And he's like, well, we're done with tour. I'm going to sleep. He's like, no, you're not. <laughs> and he's like, you want to go with us? And I was, like, terrified, because I was like, oh, these guys are, like, old pros. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, what right. venues are they playing? I had no idea what I was getting into. And I had a hard time on that uh, tour with Stone Temple Pilots, because I went from, you know, I th- what was the band we played with right before that was doing like 1,200 Gravity, seaters? Gravity Kills. Gravity Kills. God, I couldn't remember it for the life of me. And I was like, some indie, like industrial wannabe band. Like, I couldn't figure out who it was, but they were really nice. And they were playing good places. And we got pulled off that after a week. And then I went straight to arenas. And I was like, oh, my God. This is not Double Door. Right. And I was freaking out. So, you know, I got through it and I learned a lot. At what but point then, were like, you like, you're not freaking out anymore? Like, it just take, like, five uh, shows? Or? Well, the, well, I learned that uh, the sound guy, like, who ran all the PA system, not, like, you know, those guys, sound guy, he's just like, go walk up there where, where most of the people are, because, you know, half the people are kind of in at that point when the opener's on. So I go up there, and I'm like, holy crap, it's loud, and it sounds good. Okay, I just have to remember that it sounds good there where I am, not so good. And you have to get in this weird mindset. Huh, uh, really? And you okay. kind of rely on your headphones for certain things. But uh, And that was before line arrays and all this advanced technology. And like those rooms were super reverberant mm-hmm. and crazy. So I had to learn how to navigate that mentally more than anything. Um, but I feel like it's gotten way better now. Yeah. I've seen some arena shows where I'm just like, it sounds incredible. How do they do this? You know? Right. Yeah. So yeah, I was terrified, and it was Cheap Trick, and everyone's like, I love Cheap Trick, and I, honestly, I, my older brother kind of ruined Cheap Trick for me, because uh, I was into hip-hop, and he was listening to like classic rock, and I was like, I like some of it, and, and Cheap Trick, actually, they ruined it for me. <laughs> they had Don't Be Cruel video, was so they looked so outdated to me, right. and I was watching that, and I was like, Don't Be Cruel, I was like, Cheap Trick, what happened? Uh and like that's that that was like the last thing i remember from them because i was i was in a different you know generation right. sort of right i you're probably closer to my brother's age and you know he he Easy. loved all the classic rock uh-huh. 
So when they were, I was just kind of like, dude, I'm just 52. I'm two years older than you. What do you, what, come on. That's a big deal when you're in high school. Like, <laughs> you're not in high school and you weren't in high school back then. <laughs> you're worse well, than Gabe. Okay, yeah, so no. what were you afraid of going into with uh, Cheap Trick? Uh, with my little exposure to them backstage there, I was just terrified of them. <laughs> right. A little it was bit. a pretty terrifying show, yeah. It's just like these grumpy old, you know, dudes who are just like, don't get in their way. Don't, right. you know, it wasn't as bad as like, you know, no eye contact or anything like that. But it was the. That was the night my aunt blew up. Oh, God. Yeah, you were probably yeah. freaking out. You loved them out. so much and you were yeah. like freaking out. Yep. Yeah. But I'll have to say once I went on tour with them, uh, there was like a lot of us. We were on this like budget tour for like Marlboro. So they were doing like Marlboro secret shows and they were playing right. like all these little shitty venues. And I was like, fuck, I thought I was going to sign up for something better. I'm doing sh- same old shit. <laughs> Which with like 10 times the gear and like. Serves you right. Yeah. Yep. And uh, we were cramming. Literally, the stage was like, you know, the size of like empty bottle. So the entire right. front row of the audience was guitar amps on cases. <laughs> and the guitar tech was in the front row. And the audience wow. was like pushed back, right? Because he insisted on having like twenty some guitars on tour, because he changed like every song almost. Yeah, and uh, you know I was comfortable with the sound because we were in the same crappy little clubs that I was already used to. Right. And uh, the funniest thing is like when I got on the bus, you know, since it was kind of budget, there was like twelve or something of us on the bus, all the crew. And like the lighting guy, I think drove the the gear in a truck, and Brian St. Clair is there, and he's my only ally, sort of. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> there was nowhere to Go sit, on. literally, yeah. in the front lounge. It was like Bunny, you know, that was like Bunny's area. So all of his super fans are up there, and they're all super fans of the band, like everyone of the crew, sort of, and Brian. And Brian just sat across from Bunny, and they played the show. And I was like, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> I yeah. don't want to hear my mix from the board. <laughs> and I just heard the show. I'm out. Right. So I like went to the back lounge, uh, not knowing that, I, that's, that you're not supposed to. Crew guys aren't allowed back there. So I go back there for about an hour. I go up to use the bathroom. And, and uh, Brian St. Clair pulls me to the side. He's like, what are you doing? And I was like, uh, just drinking beer, hanging out, because there's nowhere to sit up here. He's like we don't do that. And he's like, what, what goes on back there? <laughs> and he was serious. And I was like, what do you mean? What goes on back there? You've never been back there. And he's like, no, no one goes back there. And I was like, Oh, okay. I don't so know. That's weird. I'm what going, was back going there. on back there. It was Tom, Rick and Robin hanging out, drinking beer, telling stories. And I was, that's where I wanted to be. So, right. And they didn't seem to mind. They're like, no, hang out. Cause when I went back there, I was like, am I supposed to be back in there? Like, you know, they were just happy to have someone else, I think, back there. Right. Someone else to tell good stories to. So, right. yeah, I pretty much hung out back there for the whole time, <laughs> the rest of it. Yeah. That's not bad. No, nah, it was great. Those guys were super fun. Super funny, did, too. Did they ever get you so drunk that... Uh, oh, no. <laughs> you had a problem getting back to your hotel? <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to talk Damn. about it if you don't want to. <laughs> Yeah, I think everyone's heard this story already, but <laughs> I don't think I've told it here. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I think uh, 
it's worth telling me because I don't think, you know, if I die tomorrow, at least it's out there. <laughs> the floor is yours, my good friend. <laughs> yeah. So well, one night I get a call in the middle of the night from Brian. He's like, hey, he's like trying not to wake anybody up. I assume he's on the bus. He's like, hey, have you talked to Paul recently? And I go, no, what's going on? It's the middle of the night. He's like, is he okay? I go, what happened? And then he tells me this story about Paul. And I don't want to get it wrong. So go ahead, Paul. He called you the same night that it happened or something? He, you know, he called me the next day because it was this huge thing. <laughs> and he was like, everyone was probably, probably worried about you for a little bit. And he was trying to oh, figure God. out what was going on. So he was like, is Paul okay? What's going on? I'm like, I assume Paul's okay. Why wouldn't he be all right? No. Uh, actually, what happened, we, we did a show in New York. <laughs> and I'd been fighting with Julie, my girlfriend at the time. Right. And we were like living together. And um, we like broke up, you know, like that day or something. And after the show, you know, I was, I was hanging out with Dave, uh, who was Gene Simmons tech. Uh-huh. And he was filling in for Tom. And he's just the coolest dude. He's like long. He was like 50 back then or something, but he looked great. And he's like, now I'm taking you out. <laughs> and he was like Italian. And he takes me to like. I guess what was like Coyote Ugly in the movie, like the original yeah. Hogs and Heifers, or I don't know what right. it was called. Right. <laughs> it was in the meat. It was in the meat district, and yeah. it was it was weird, you know. And we go in there. He's like, I got just the place. So we go in there, and it is exactly what you see, like the just beautiful girls in country outfits, wearing like you know high shorts and all this stuff. And they're on the bar, and they give you like, what do you want, honey? And uh, you know they're all in your face, so. I was like a beer, and then he's like, "Get him a shot too." So we were doing the whiskeys and like beer, <laughs> and uh, they would like pour the beer, the shot down your throat, and just like they were professionals, like they were getting me shit faced. Right. And I, th- I think we were there for about an hour and a half. I probably had six shots and six beers, mm. and Dave's like, and I, he looked over at me, and he's like, "I got to get you home." Yeah. He, he knew it'd gone too far. <laughs> So we get in the car, he sends me in a cab and he's like, take him to the, you know, the, I think it was the Warwick or something like that. A really nice hotel that Cheap Trick had. Oh no. Staying in. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. It had I to be pull, a nice hotel. Yeah. I fall out of the cab. I'm like, <laughs> get into the elevator, just holding on to the world. And I'm zigzagging down the hallway. Somehow I find my room. I get in and I immediately just like run to the bathroom and like throw up, you know, that was just like that bad. And I throw up, go climb into like, you know, the 6,000 count giant comforter in a king size bed. And I pass out, um, have some weird dreams <laughs> where I, you know, I don't really remember what happened. And then I suddenly wake up from complete blackout of just alarms and phones and everyone's calling and people are banging on the door and i was just like i heard it for a long time before i actually came to (laughs) i opened the door and i'm like they're like what where are you dude we're leaving in five minutes and i was like oh you know it's just like what are those times where you you just like oh no so i I hurry up get in the shower i look the bathroom's kind of destroyed so i kind of 
pick up the potpourri thing. It's like by the shower. There's just like, sh- it's kind of destroyed. I noticed there was a little vomit gone on the shower curtain that was cloth. And I was like, who the fuck makes shower cloth curtains? So I'm like washing that, you know, run downstairs, get all my shit, uh, start doing sound check in Jersey. You know, uh-huh. like where Bon Jovi would play, I guess, back in the day. Right. You haven't gone far enough. You're st- yeah. still in Jersey. We're in Jersey. Yeah. And, uh, you know, sound check's going and I get a call on my phone. And this was like, I actually had a cell phone, I think, at the time, which was crazy. But uh, no one had cell phones back then. <laughs> and it's the tour manager, Carla, and she's just like, what the fuck did you do to that hotel room? I got a bill here for $1,100. Like, what the fuck did you do? And I was like, oh, 1100 that's got to be wrong. Like, I cleaned the shower curtain. And, uh, you know, they're like, there's vomit on the comforter in the bed. You destroyed the bathroom. And you fucking shit all over the safe. And there's they have to get hazmat suits in the, to clear the carpet out. And they're fucking, they're not going to let us stay here ever again. And I was like, what the fuck happened? I was like, this is bullshit. Do you, I was like, do they got any footage or like pictures? Like, I really couldn't believe it. Oh, I, I honestly, I, <laughs> I honestly couldn't believe it. But then I started remembering some stuff in my flashbacks of like what happened in the middle of the night. I know I got up at least, yeah, I know I got up at least twice to like, you know, do the double expulsion where you're like. You know, you're sitting on the toilet and you're sh- like throwing up in the garbage can at the same time. Uh, but then I also remembered there's two doors right in front of my bed. One was the bathroom and the other was a walk-in closet with a safe in the floor. Just like a little <laughs> box that was just in. I was like the weirdest. I was like, that's a weird closet. It's like a safe on the floor. That's so weird. So it turns out uh, I shit and vomited all over that room on the safe they had to get hazmat suits that's where the thousand dollars came in they had to tear the carpet out so they could rent it again in a rush oh. job and uh, i had to pay for it out of my pocket which is a lot of money back then and the worst part and sort of the best part was the band shows up that night i thought i was fired i was sweating you know hung over <laughs> as could be and they just walk in for sound check and i'm like like really nervous and they're like is it safe? <laughs> and they just kept coming at me with the best lines. And I, th- I think Tom, even during the show, was like, "Hey, Rick, you ever? When's the last time you you met an adult who who shit in their own bed and shit in their pants? Like when they're a baby, right? Only babies do that, you know." He's just like giving me shit, and I just like, and I was like on a perch balcony right above them, so I couldn't hide. There was nothing I could do. And they just kept doing it for, like, the whole tour. I think it made their tour, so they didn't fire me, I think, because they just thought it was the best. <laughs> Gave them some fuel to make each other laugh. Oh, uh, that's my favorite story of all time. <laughs> Where they were, like, just like, hmm, this mic smells a little shitty. Does it? Tom, does your mic smell shitty? Yeah, Rick. <laughs> oh, I'm yeah. just imagining the night. The dark night of the soul that you've had. I've imagined it many, many times. <laughs> you've heard me tell this story many times. And after a while, you're just like, all right, I've had enough of this. You're telling the story wrong. This is not what happened. <laughs> oh, legendary. Legendary. Yeah, that, that was... is something else. It's been a weird out there. I... <laughs> Thank you for telling that story. 
Yeah, I've got a, a lot of them, but uh, apparently uh, I'm supposed to write a, my, write on memoirs because some of the stories like I can't even believe happened to me. So yeah, that one I can believe. That's you know, that's pretty normal. What about it's Mastodon? A, what about the, the the shows with Mastodon? Oh my god, get crazy out there. That was exhausting because I got hired to tour manage and do sound, and I was only mm-hmm. supposed to tour manage. You know, you remember Curly, Michael Jobson? Yeah. Yeah, he uh, he calls me up out of the blue. I was I was uh, I forget what I was doing. I think Andrew WK or something ended, and I was just kind of sitting around. And uh, he's like, "Hey, I got this band Mastodon. They're really going places. You got to come out here. They're sound guys struggling. So is it, to a manager, we just go can't any do further. This. What, what kind of accent is that supposed to be? <laughs> he's Scottish." Yeah, okay. All right, everybody. He's Scottish. I don't know if you could get that from what Paul was doing, but the guy is Scottish. He's <laughs> trying to do Curly, but it's hard. I haven't yeah, talked no, to him in a while. Curly is a, a, he's a legend. And yeah. That's not really the way he talks, but, but go on, Paul. <laughs> All right, Scott. Is that better? He's like definitely little, more better. It's a little better. Yeah. He always push up it's his fucking cheese, man. Serious. It's fucking cheese what you did. <laughs> that was pretty good. So he brings me out there, and they're opening for Slayer in like clubs all over England. And, Whoa! Uh, so I had to deal with metal, which I uh, I actually liked. You know, some of Slayer and you know Queens of the Stone Age was probably like the most metal that I'd get into. Definitely not Iron Maiden, Gabe. Until I, <laughs> until I met them and went on tour with them, that's oh, wow. when I like I, I appreciated them because uh, they they could hang. They would. They were like normal dudes, and they'd go to like whatever local pub. They'd find an English bar, no matter what country we were in, and we'd all go get invited. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know who was who. I didn't know anyone in Iron Maiden. And turns out I'd been like drinking with the band like you know, multiple <laughs> times, and I didn't even know who they were. I thought it was the crew. I couldn't tell because the crew was there too. Is like they're all such mm. good guys. Um, that was they were probably like one of the nicest crews too. Like they actually didn't screw you over. Mm-hmm. Anything you need, mate. Well, and they were you working with them or working with the band that was working with them? Mastodon. Those guys. Okay. Got me into all of like the metal and rock uh, royalty, sort of. Like we opened for everyone. They were like everyone's favorite new band. So we we opened for everyone. Um, Slayer, Iron Maiden. Uh, I missed out on, on the Metallica because uh, they started doing that right after I stopped working with them. Uh, but they were doing every Ozfest, you know, like they were, they were just kind of like the, the go-to band that, you know, right. a lot of those guys just appreciated. And, uh, there's a million stories with those guys. We got kicked off of Ozfest. <laughs> How'd that happen? Uh, which, which is pretty good. It's actually a really great story. We were, uh, we were in Nashville. We pulled into Nashville the night before the show, right? And Nashville's a hard market, right? Everyone needs yeah. Nashville. Because if you can't break there, it's like you can't really play there. Because there's not too many rock clubs and, and the, the, it's a t- tough crowd there. A lot so of we competition, really, yeah. Yeah, we needed to do well there. So the night before, uh, Brent decided to go hang out with, uh, what's his name, Hank Three, you know. Mm-hmm. The guy with the briefcase full of whatever magic you need. <laughs> oh, right. Uh-huh. He just knew how to throw down and uh, super awesome dude. So they were hanging out. Apparently there was mushrooms and multiple bottles of whiskey involved. Uh, 
and I get up at like, you know, 7 a.m., which you have to do on these tours like that because you have to figure out where to park the bus, get your catering, check in. Uh, so we, we get done. Uh, I see Brent laying there with like an un, his underwear, tidy whiteies, and a white sock on. That's it, laying there with a bottle of whiskey. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> I go to check in and I get screamed at from Charlie from uh, C3, who was like, you know, the man of uh-huh. OzFest. And he just calls me into his office and he's screaming at me. He's like, your fucking boy destroyed, disrespected our employees. He destroyed the, the bathroom because they had these shit you know, on a safe. Those, those <laughs> bathrooms. And uh, he handed me a bill and it was like $2,000. And he said, we're off the tour and uh, you got to get your shit and get out of here. And I was like, what the fuck? So I'm like calling the manager, you know, two minutes later. I'm like, I don't know what happened, but apparently Brent <laughs> got into some shit this morning. I found out, I go back to the bus and they're like, he was on stage during someone's sound check. Like, uh, I don't know, like one of those new, bigger young punk screamo bands uh-huh. and he said you guys are all full of shit <laughs> on the mic to everyone during their sound check when awesome was this stuff. uh when in the morning probably, yeah it was in the morning like <laughs> seven or something in the morning when sound checks would start and he's up there and the security guys like pulled him off stage and uh you know he's going to the bus and he's just like he like took took this plate and he shit on it, and he's like, here! And he just throws it at the security guys. This is what I think of your fucking festival. And I was like, unbelievable, like, legendary story. And uh, we had to leave. <laughs> the manager was like, what did you do? And I was like, I didn't, I don't even know. I just went to bed. So we had to leave. Uh, we smoothed it over. We told him that was just a weird incident. Something happened. Uh, there was some weird something happened, and he was uh, chemically imbalanced. So they let us back on the right. tour after that. There was only like Florida or something. But uh-huh. uh, what everyone could go loved wrong us. in Florida. Yeah, <laughs> everyone loved us. We had to be on our best behavior. But that was that was the start of kind so of their what? legend, I think. Because they they were like the Sex Pistols. They were just like yeah. Everyone knew what was going on with those guys. Like they were just every band wanted to hang out with them because of these stories and just they were funny ass guys. They're like super funny. Yeah, I was gonna say that I thought that was the hardest band to work for until Brian got me to work for Brazilian Girls, and then I, I they seemed real tame, <laughs> but they partied hard, so hard it was really? crazy. Yeah, really. Yep, those guys. We partied so hard it was insane. So, uh, how were they? Were they shitting on two plates? I mean, well, well, I guess the thing I think the thing that explains it the most, like the metal bands, like all their friends come out every night in whatever city you are, you're in, you're there, and they're going to show you the best time. You know, Mm -hmm. every city, all their friends, like wherever city you're at. With Brazilian girls, um, it was the same thing, except their friends were into like party drugs and like raves and like even though they weren't really into that sort of scene their fans were and they would take us and they would be like oh we're gonna give you like five thousand dollars to do this after party right and it would just be like insane everything laid out on tables like and we'd just go until we had to leave right and i think i think brian was was brian tour managing (laughs) he He might have been yeah i know he was with them 
I think he was, and I don't think he knew any of this was going on. Really? Well, that's Maybe. when everybody was get, making more money at the after-show DJ sets than the actual show. So Brian of was definitely not going to be there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like, I'm off the clock. Right, and then they right. make me go because they needed a sound guy. And I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> but I had fun. I made the most of it, you know. So was <laughs> there a point where you're like, all right, this is the last draw. I have to get off the road. Yeah, I think... Well, I, I stopped partying pretty much after after that because that was, you know, I came back from uh, St. Petersburg almost like you. I didn't get arrested and lose my shit or whatever happened to you, uh, mugged in your passport. But I got definitely uh, the Russia treatment where <laughs> on my way back, I caught shingles. That's how bad it was. Oh. And I had shingles because I was so wrecked from not sleeping and just working and partying and i was just like man i gotta i gotta get it together so i stopped everything and then uh i think it was like i think i did one more yeah that's when i started doing paul anka and that yeah. was very easy to be straight on because <laughs> paul anka wasn't off, off the charts my, yeah like my near nearest peer was 20 years older than me you know mm. it was like everyone was sold so i just hung out with those guys and it was mellow and heard great stories I've, you've heard the Paul Anka rant tapes, probably, right? No. Oh, no, Ben has. They're so good. Yeah, Ben probably knows. You know, Ben's queuing them up right now. He's like, it's when I'm out on, there, it's gonna be on the broadcast. Like a fucking hammer. I didn't know what cut like a hammer meant till I hung out with those guys. It's some like old Frank Sinatra sayings, and so yeah, those guys. His band was with him for like 25, 30 years. You know, and that was after his heyday, sort of. Right. But, uh, yeah, so I chilled out with that because I couldn't really. I had so much work with that band. I, I got, at first I was A3 and then I stage managed and I had three sheets of like to the minute cues that I had to do. It was like the hardest, hardest job at that point until oh. I started running festivals. And then that was a whole nother life. Right. So you did Pitchfork and Riot Fest and that just became your new thing. Yeah, when I stopped touring, I started working at Shubas and Lincoln Hall when they opened. And that same summer, uh, Elliot's Dix called me up and he's like, hey, uh, you should do this thing. I can't do it. He's like, work for Pitchfork. They need a technical advisor to help them fix the sound. And that was like my first foot into that. So I ended up picking up a bunch of work at home and I was, you know, making the same money and didn't have to leave. So right, that was how I started kind of stopped touring but you never got sure. out you never got out of sound you're yeah still in sound. Really. i mean you're still work you're working for sure you know yeah, i you, am yeah you're I'm still a, in sound you I'm were using, saying the other day that you're not a lifer but you are <laughs> well i wasn't a lifer for touring but you know it's just it's untenable with a family and and if you're not the band who's like doing super well where you can bring your family out all the time it's really hard you know? Yeah, it's like you have to figure out how to balance that. And I, I did so much touring that I felt like I, I'd done everything I needed to see. I've done it all. Being a dad is the hardest gig I've ever had, man. And uh, it needs all your attention. And when are you going to quit that? Yeah, <laughs> uh, what? Eleven years, twelve years is when I think I'm officially done. When my youngest, uh, Mateo. He's how many, six now, so in 12 years, he'll be 18. How many plates of Hopefully shit have be, they given you? 
<laughs> oh yeah. They they are tougher than any of the bands I've worked for. That's yeah. for sure. <laughs> and Eric Payne, I, I I know you're out there. My kids are probably tougher than you still. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Well, Mateo and Nico, they're awesome, but man, they know they know my buttons and they know just how to push them. You'll uh-huh. find out. You're going to find out. <laughs> just you wait. That's great. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's uh it's quite a quite a story you got there, Paul. You know. Yeah, it's been fun, you know. Got to hang out with you guys and kind of it was like college sort of, right? We all started you guys were pro but I, for me it was like college because i didn't go to college and i just started touring and learning about the world and everything and best well, education right yeah well, i mean i think we were all seeing certain things for the first time around that point and just sort of getting a glimpse of stuff and going this is fun you see the, but you, you see can the we keep this up yeah can we keep this up i don't, I don't know yeah you did it you're still doing it man Yep. Gabe quit. Gabe's like, fuck this. Gabe got out pretty early, right? I what was your last it. tour, Gabe? I did some shows with Brian when Brian was before the Here Comes a Zoo, but as soon as that record came out, that's when I stopped touring. Right, Scott? Wasn't around then? Sounds about right. And it was really it was really tough because like with you two, like we'd become sort of a unit. And I and I sort of like and you know, when Paul left it was really hard for me, but when Gabe left I was like I don't know if I can do this anymore, you know? And so it was kind of like, where's all my guys? But, you know. There's always guys. That's, there's always that's guys, fun. but it, it, it's hard. It, it, that's something that's weird. It's like, you know, you're, you're friends. There's certain friends you go, all right, we'll be friends forever. And, and you know, we are. We are. Yeah. But, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting how, like, people that you thought you'd work with forever, you don't. And, you know, they go work with somebody else. For a myriad of reasons. I learned that too, because like with you guys, when I left, I realized like, I really don't want to leave, but I don't know what else to do with this time because I have a big break. You guys were going to do another record. And like you kind of get this turmoil as a sound guy because you're not making anything off of records. Your only money is when you're on tour. So I had to keep kind of snowballing that. And uh, well, that cheap, that cheap trick shows were in the middle of making pack up the cats. So. But you still did pack up the cats shows with us. I I think so. I did some yeah. stuff. Yeah. Whenever I could, you know, I didn't want to stop working with you. It was just kind of like scheduling and yeah. And those guys, you know, they had a bigger budget, so that helped me. You know, right. I'm Asian, so I'm very fiscally uh, responsible. <laughs> I always had to uh, make sure I I was making the most money if I'm going to be out here. Let me make the most money I can. I never heard that stereotype. <laughs> no, yeah, I never heard that one. I was supposed to be an engineer. My mom was very disappointed. I, electrical engineer. Oh, I got okay, halfway that there. Kind of thing. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right, the pressure. Okay, I've, I've heard yeah. of those moms. Yes, I, I've heard of that. Yeah, but the the one thing that hasn't uh, changed is like once you're in a like a tiny fart box with a bunch of dudes for a long time, and you 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 know each other's farts, you know each other's everything everyone's problems all their shit you're like so you're disgusting. like brothers you, you're like yeah. closer than brothers because some you know you're Fart you're brothers. you're together through all <laughs> these ups and downs like every day and like after a tour it's like you're like best you're never going to not be friends with them and then as soon as you see someone you haven't seen for 10 years you're right back and you're just like 
<laughs> like we saw Rick Ness the other day. I was like, yeah, it's Rick Ness. You know, it was like instant, <laughs> you know, you just feel great. It's like, yeah. So that, that Joe Cassidy show was pretty awesome. Just seeing a lot of the old guys together and girls and like singing together and seeing like, seeing people that I've toured with separately all together was pretty cool. Right, right. In all seriousness, don't you think Shore would like to sponsor this podcast? <laughs> Set us all up with some nice Shore podcasting mics. And, and plug we'll have to see. Week. That's not not really my gig, but uh, you know, put put us in touch with the guy I, whose gig it is. I can get you a deal. <laughs> Scott sounds great. Gabe sounds good. I don't know what mic you're using there, but uh, I haven't this heard you a, talk much, Ben. This is a I feel bad for you. No, it's all right. I'm just producing. I'm like the sound guy. I'm I'm not on stage. I'm just you got any questions for uh, Paul here, Ben? Before we sign off, uh, well, you talked about it a little bit, but it's interesting to me that uh, at some point Scott made the decision he needed to take matters into his own hands and sort of sound man proof his 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 gig. Uh, how how hard was it doing sound for local H and do you understand why he's gone soundmanless in the, in it, the current age? If you can get a vocal over him, you're doing a pretty good job. Uh, and when you know Joe or Brian were playing, you don't you didn't really need them. The drums they're so loud, especially Brian. He played with the clubs. You know, he played with the sticks backwards. Yeah. And if you take a drumstick and you hit it, you know, it grips better in your hand. He said, and you're hitting it as hard as you can. Uh, it's so loud. I have a drum set here, and it's just insane, like, how loud it was. I was like, why did I get this during the pandemic? <laughs> it, I have to wear earplugs and earphones. And so in these in these clubs like that, it's like, all right, I'm going to get kick drum and vocal, and I know I got a show, you know, maybe right. some delay. But uh, the one thing that Scott and I learned was there's a lot of shit going on. You can try and split signals, do all this stuff. There's like hidden frequencies that your amp still gets and it fries your amps. Like, I don't know how many mattresses we blew up, but we learned you have to get a really good splitter and like all these weird little technical things. So Scott learned a ton. I, I was, I'm proud of you, Scott. When, when I first saw you guys without a sound guy, I was like, man, he's doing all this shit. And he was super technical. Like always, everyone was like, what's that rig like? And you know, the couple times I picked up your guitar, it's just so awesome i was like all right i get why he's so loud because it's like you know it's it's insane it's like the coolest feeling to play that that rig well i mean that's so, part of that's part of the thing about rock and roll you know the louder you are the more fun you have it's just a, I mean i didn't come up with that somebody else did but i mean it, it still holds yeah, true but you, you had a, a very full you range don't, don't you guitar. miss like when you go to a show and the amps aren't on stage i don't what? get that yeah, that's just weird. And you, and you're standing on the side of stage even worse and everyone's on in-ears and you're like, "What the fuck is happening?" I can't even tell yeah. if this is a show. All I hear is the PA and there's like it's like a <laughs> pup it's like watching like the, you know, the Chuck E. Cheese band. Like there's nothing happening up there. You can just coming out of the speakers. <laughs> it's so weird to me. It's like even if I was at, with a band that had all in-ears, I would be putting shit in the side fills just for people there so they're not disappointed in the rock, you know. That was one of the things I made happen at Pitchfork. Yeah. I was like, VIP is not getting any side fills? Like, we have to get these people over there some sound, otherwise they're going to be super disappointed. And 
that was uh that was a battle because a lot of people are just like well go over there if you want to see the show and i'm like come on let's right. just make everyone get the show you know so on the other yeah, hand fuck the vips ah but that's me now <laughs> yeah <laughs> i com- i complain more you you know you get those special seats at the at the metro it's nice to have a little speaker up there I don't know if they used to it, back in the it day. D- it does sound good up there these days, doesn't it? Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's definitely, uh, yeah. as you get older and uh, and you can still get into shows and you're like, you always want to stay good with the venues because like your kids are coming up, like mine. I'm like, I hope to bring him in there so he can experience like the real show and then I can go up to VIP while he's down in the pit. So. <laughs> I mean, to me, it's crazy that, you know, we're still in these places. And I look down there and I look at, like, you know, people that are in the front row. And I'm like, that used to be me. And that kid would never think that I'm up here sitting at Joe's table, just like hanging out watching a show. You know, I never take it for granted. It's crazy to me that we're still kicking around here, you know. And and it's, yeah. Like, I've for the pandemic like i was going through a real uh withdrawal because you know like you you play a lot of shows but sound guys they they're at shows 320 340 days a year you know <laughs> it's yeah. like there's no days off it's every night you're you're working uh whenever there is a show so it's like you're you get really accustomed to that and it's different bands every night which is really nice Every two shows, you might get a good band or something, and it's it's nice. I don't right. know, openers and everything. And yeah. uh, but I was seriously going through through withdrawal, so I really appreciated when you did that online show at local uh, at Lincoln Hall. Uh, Ooh, local H L H. I never put that yeah. together till just now. Well, you know, it's the first time. And you're so a, what I did, I put you on guy. the big screen in my in my house. And I had the big surround sound and the subwoofer, and I cranked it up, and I made my kids sit through the local aid show live. And I was calling Chris Gillen. I'm like, hey, on the feed, can you turn the kick drum up? I need more toms. I was mixing the show on the phone. Really? He, you know, in there it sounds good because he's got the shit. But I was like, on my stereo, I was like, hey, turn this up. It was awesome. I was like, if I could do sound like that from home. <laughs> I would do it. That's what we need. That's what we need. It's still super yeah. fun. It's still super fun mixing. It's just uh, going there and then having to wake up at six for your kids in the morning's not fun. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul. Thanks for doing this, and uh, I love you, Paul. With all the simple times behind me, I can fail without regret. If I have to try, then I will never be able to forget Bottoms down and out of reasons to hang around And when the sun is over, I'll be gone I can tell you where she'll be Floating in a soft and Directly over me Chocolate eyes At one time melting in mine But not tonight She'll say I love you, Paul I love you, Paul 
was fun good hope I'm you glad. got what you wanted out of it was it good it's a little there's some good stuff there got the shit Crazy. story so yeah <laughs> you got the double shit stories from brian and i now <laughs> and we, we actually had a double door shit story from my friend mike lustig so oh that was pretty good uh, yeah. <laughs> his shit story was pretty great we got to put put together a shit episode one of these yeah. days so best the of the shit episode the best of the shit the best of the shit Shit we'll sandwich. You, we'll have Wes, Mike Lustig, Brian, Herb. It'll be like just a just a great shit episode. You'll have to call it shit sandwich though. Or not, you know. <laughs> I, I I think we have the Jesus opening the for your episode. <laughs> does, does Scott does James Conn shit on a safe in Thief? I can't remember if that's in the director's cut. That's how he cut, opens. Or? Yeah, that's the big scene where he shits on a safe. <laughs> 